1: Eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. Well, as you well know, General Powell passed this morning. He had uh, blood cancer. He had Parkinson's, and, uh, and the family indicated that it was worsened by the uh, coronavirus. And he passed away this morning. It's interesting because on 9-11, I remember him at the event in Washington that he always attended, watching that on TV, so he passed fairly quickly. The form of cancer that he had, he can linger for a long time, but unfortunately there was no cure for that. Um, Watching TV, you would have thought that General Powell first reached uh, into the White House and uh, became known under the Bush administration, Bush 41, but that's not correct. It was actually Casper Weinberger, Secretary of Defense, and Ronald Reagan, who brought uh, who brought General Powell really into the White House. And General Powell was a man who loved his country, but he had a mixed record. Um, excellent record in many regards but a mixed record in other regards. Uh, Highly respected throughout Washington, D.C., as you can see, highly respected in the media. Um, He had a a deputy over there when he was Secretary of State by the name of Richard Armitage. And, um, well, Armitage didn't come out and indicate that he was the one that had provided information to the press, and Scooter Libby who served under Dick Cheney, then the vice president, took all the heat for it, and uh, wound up being prosecuted. So I don't think that's uh, particularly honorable on the part of Armitage. I never knew if Colin Powell knew about that or not, his boss and close friend. And I understand that Colin Powell thought that the Iraq situation was the worst blot on his resume. I don't think it was. He was told what he was told by intelligence agencies, same thing that was told to members of Congress, and he was a uh, he was very loyal in that regard to George W. Bush and went to the u n and made the case as the case was provided to him. Um, and of course, that's being raised as well. It's like any other life. Nobody's perfect. They're not perfect in their personal lives, and they're not perfect in their professional lives. Even though he tried to live a moral, patriotic life, and I think he did those things. I never quite understood why he didn't endorse John McCain for president. They had been friends for a very, very long time. McCain was his kind of Republican. And he backed Barack Obama. Uh, Second time around with Romney... Again, his type of Republican, he backed Obama again. Then, of course, he, uh, he hated Donald Trump, as so much of the establishment in Washington does and did, from the Bushies to the Cheneys to the never-Trumpers and all the rest. So he even backed Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden, because he said the Republican Party had moved too far right, which he clearly did not. It's a mixed political record as well. But I would argue a very honorable man, patriotic man, who loved his country and um, was very strong in many respects when it came to fighting in Iraq, when it came to Panama, Noriega, and some other issues, some other cases. But I just want to remind people, because there aren't enough Reagan people around That Powell got his start at a senior level, crossing over sort of from military to civilian, but still in military, providing advice on the civilian side in the Reagan administration, not Bush 41 and not Bush 43. And he was very young at the time, too. But it's very sad, no question about it. He was 84 years old. That's not that old. And uh, may he rest in peace. And we wish his family all the best. I'm sure it's extremely difficult. Like I said, on 9-11, he was, this anniversary, he was uh, celebrating, uh, well, not celebrating. He was remembering the events of that day in Washington, D.C. It was on television. I watched it. He was a lot damn better than Millie, I can tell you that. I don't think General Powell would have left American citizens in enemy territory in Afghanistan. I don't think General Powell would have left patriotic Afghans who fought side by side with us in enemy territory. And I don't think he would have withdrawn from Afghanistan the way Austin and Milley and the rest of them did. No way. Neither would have Secretary of Defense Weinberger and President Reagan and neither would a President Trump. No way. All right, I read something that kind of proves the point, it was interesting to me. It's a column that I caught at the Blaze Media site, a column I caught by Jackie Combs, K-A-L-M-E-S, maybe it's CAMS, whatever. She was a news person, and now she's a columnist. You see this all the time, like Ruth Marcus is now the deputy editor, of the op-ed page of the Washington Post. She used to be a reporter. I know she was a reporter, because she was a liberal hack at the Washington Post way back when in the Reagan administration. But they move between reporting and giving their opinions, although I don't know why, because there really doesn't seem to be any line of demarcation today between so-called reporters. And uh, individuals who give their opinions. So she writes a piece about entitled "Why Journalists Are Failing the Public with Both 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 Dash S I D E R I S M Both Siderisms in Political Coverage," and I want to give you a feel for what she writes here. Then we'll take a break, then we'll circle back. American politics, she writes, has changed dramatically since my post-Watergate generation of journalists began covering the story. Political journalism hasn't kept up. For years, it was easy to cover both sides, Republicans and Democrats, as equally worthy and blameworthy partners in democracy. Now, I might say, as long as I've been alive, that's never happened. So that is a, uh, a bogus point to begin with. While we reporters had come of age as witnesses to the unprecedented resignation of a Republican president who tried to corrupt the institutions of government to affect an election. I would have thought that was John Kennedy, but apparently not. Imagine, what remained was the Republican Party still capable of a creditable role in a healthy two-party system. After all, Richard Nixon was forced to resign when congressional leaders of his party began abandoning him. Again, imagine that, Kevin McCarthy. See where this is going. Now, when reporters or pundits use the words both sides in regard to some political problem, I stop reading or listening. I started to chafe at false equivalents a quarter century ago. As a congressional reporter amid Newt Gingrich's Republican Revolution, one party, his, was demonstrably more responsible for the nasty divisiveness, government gridlock, and norm-busting, yet journalistic pressure to produce seemingly balanced stories, pressure both ingrained and imposed by editors, prevented reporters from sufficiently reflecting the truth. The truth, you understand, the truth, the left. By 2012, as President Obama dealt with the willful obstructionists, conspiracists, and racists of an increasingly radicalized Republican Party, political scientists and long-respected Washington watchers Thomas Mann and Norman Ornstein put the onus for the dysfunction squarely on the GOP in their provocative book, *At Even*. It's even worse than it looks. Significantly, they implicated journalists. Quote, a balanced treatment of an unbalanced phenomenon is a distortion of reality and a disservice to your customers. The ascension of Donald Trump for years later should not have been such a surprise. With his continued hold on the Republican Party in the Biden era, Mann and Ornstein's admonition is truer than ever. These are two old Washington hangers-on. who have been spewing their idiocy for decades. Yes, it's critical of political journalists to remain fair and balanced, in contrast with the right-wing network that cynically co-opted those objectives. And yes, variations on the word lie justifiably made it into the media, sometimes I never thought I'd see, let alone write, to describe what comes out of Trump's mouth whenever his lips move. Sadly, that was progress. Yet now that Trump is no longer president, his words no longer can fire senior officials... Move troops or launch bombs His unhinged utterances go largely uncovered, for better or worse. Better for everyone's mental health, worse because he's the favorite to be Republican's 2024 nominee and perhaps president again, and still commands his party, enabled by sycophants in Congress, state capitals, and thousands of local public offices. Attention must be paid. All right, you can see what a hack this woman is, and you can also see that they're getting ready to double down on what they did to Trump, should he run for president again. I believe he will. I don't have insider information. So she's gearing them up. To the extent, then, that journalists and pundits focus critically on President Biden and Democrats and give short shrift to Republicans' obstructions, as if the cancer of Trumpism was in remission, if not cured, that indeed distorts reality and deserves readers, listeners, and viewers. Yeah, that Joe Biden's had a tough time, hasn't he, America? No demands for his uh, medical records or the list of his prescriptions. No, 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 no. They really followed up on that tire Reed story, didn't they? No, no, no. They really followed up on his background, his history of segregation, didn't they? No. And now, as he as he shuffles away after giving a few comments, like a man who's hungry for his oatmeal, a man who doesn't hold press conferences, a man who's done 10 one-on-one interviews, She's concerned about the way the press treat Biden. Now this is very, very important. And so I'm going to take a break now. Just bookmark in your mind where we are. That this longtime reporter now, uh, opinion writer for the LA Times, is trashing, just solely, the Republicans, warning her fellow so-called journalists and pundit friends that they're doing the wrong thing in raising questions about the democrats whether they be in the capitol hill or whether they be in the white house and that they got they've got to gear up to fight the ideology of conservatism they have to gear up to get ready for trump and trump owns the party we can't put up with that we journalists and we pundits so that's where we're leaving off but there's more i'll be right back White journalists are failing the public for both-siderism and political coverage. Such a hack piece. But it reveals a lot. Democracy is literally at stake. As Republicans block federal voting rights legislation, those in red states continue to challenge the 2020 votes for Biden, but not their own, pass laws to suppress future votes in ways disadvantageous to Democrats, gerrymander legislative districts, and replace nonpartisan election observers with partisan ones. Listen to this. In Congress, the Democrats disarray to use a favorite uh... illiterative phrase of journalists is real and merits dissection but it must be said that it owes much to the fact that democrats with their minimal house and senate majorities can't count on a single republican vote for most legislation while one republican senator can routinely block action with a filibuster meanwhile the scraping between liberals and uh, such as Bernie Sanders and uh, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema over potentially transformative domestic spending proposals reflects the normal debate process. Really? Numerous news reports suggest Biden's politically liable for the persistence of COVID 19, yet many are silent on Republicans' opposition to his efforts promoting vaccines and masks, and the not coincidental fact that the rates of hospitalizations and deaths are highest in red states. Actually, they're not. Trumpists on social media seem to gloat over high case numbers. See where this is coming from? She's a nut. This is a Republican Party that's not serious about governing or addressing the nation's actual problems as opposed to fall ones like critical race theory. And it goes on. She is, of course, a hack. But here's the thing. Blaze went back and took a look at social media and some of the responses by reporters. New York staff writer Jane Mayer, who was always a hack, tweeted, a Good point from longtime reporter Jackie Combs. Missing from much political coverage is the only one party is even trying to govern. New York Times Magazine writer Nicole Hannah-Jones. Remember her 1619 project? She loved it. Every political journalist should read this in the book How Democracies Die. Former Vice President at NPR Bill Boosenberg tweeted great op-ed important message for every journalist NPR PBS this includes you please don't balance the truth with an outright calculated lie and call it objective reporting or interviewing Jay Rosen another one American politics has changed dramatically since my post-Watergate generation he retweets that he says I've been waiting for this column by a former political reporter for a very long time John Harwood Another jackass. Outstanding from at Jackie Combs. Uh, Howard Fineman, you remember that lightweight? Uh, he says uh, white journalists are failing in political coverage. He says she's spot on. I know her well, and her name implies she's a calm, rational reporter. But she's rightly pissed that we give psycho Trumplicans both sides coverage. Now, when we come back, we're going to analyze this. This actually is not new. This column is just the latest in numerous columns and numerous assertions by fraud, propag- by fraud journalists who are propagandists with no intention of reporting the news, and they are making it abundantly clear that they're getting ne- ready for the next round. I'll be right back.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little
3: Listening to Denali,
4: the great one. The great one. And you can call in now, 877 381 3811. In truth,
1: but that opinion communist is writing is not new. It's just the latest exposition of the media mindset, the corrupt media mindset, the propaganda organizations in this country. They are self aggrandizers, they are narcissists. And they are justifying among themselves uh, the turn that they have taken in destroying a free press and the turn that they have taken in advancing the cause of one party and American Marxism as an ideology. This has been actually going on in journalism schools and throughout newsrooms, so-called, for decades. And just like with colleges and universities generally and these. In the society, generally, it's reached its pinnacle now. And so they describe the people with whom they disagree in the most negative, poisonous terms. And they describe the people with whom they agree as righteous people with some faults. But those righteous people with some faults reflect their own ideology. Jim Rutenberg, a Times news correspondent term columnist, In 2016, he's even more blunt, he asserts that if you're a journalist who despises Trump, this is an unfreedom of the press. As so many of the Democratic Party press do, and consider him some kind of a threat to the nation, you can hardly be expected to report objectively about him. On August 7, 2016, five years ago... Wittenberg explained the mindset of the newspaper and the media at large, writing, If you're wor- a working journalist and you believe that Donald J. Trump is a demagogue playing to the nation's worst racist and nationalistic tendencies, that he cozies up to anti-American dictators, and that he would be dangerous with control of the United States nuclear codes, how the heck are you supposed to cover him? If you believe all those things, you have to throw out the textbook American journalism has been using for the better part of the past half century, if not longer. And approach it in a way you've never approached anything in your career. If you view a Trump presidency as something that's potentially dangerous, then your reporting is going to reflect that. You would move closer than you've ever been to being oppositional. That's uncomfortable and uncharted territory for every mainstream non-opinion journalist I've ever known, and by normal standards, untenable. But the question that everyone is grappling with is, do normal standards apply? And if they don't, what should take their place? It may not always seem fair to Mr. Trump or his supporters, but journalism shouldn't measure itself against any one campaign's definition of fairness. It is journalism's job to be true to the readers and viewers and true to the facts in a way that will stand up the history judgment. To do anything less would be untenable. It seems to me this guy may have a claim against this, this other columnist five years later. No, Mr. Producer? Saying damn near the same thing. So the abandonment of objective truth, and worse, the rejection of the principles and values of America's early press. It's not new for the New York Times or the Washington Post. But they are letting you know they intend to double, triple, quadruple down on this. They are utterly corrupt, as the rest of the book and freedom of the press points out. They're overwhelmingly members of the Democrat Party. They overwhelmingly share a hard left ideology and agenda. They live in a bubble, mostly on each coast, the the, the eastern coast and the western coast. They socialize with each other, and they give awards to each other. Many of them move in and out of Democrat administrations, or move in and out of Democrat congressional offices up on Capitol Hill. This is who they are. And there are no voices, well almost none, very few voices that I'm aware of that preach objectivity, or at least the pursuit of objectivity and impartiality. And and, and this, as I say, has been going on for some time. There was a gentleman, I like to introduce you to people, there was a gentleman, a professor of English, University of Chicago, his name was Richard Weaver, He's a brilliant man, and he noticed this almost a half century ago but again it's reached its pinnacle now and uh, he wrote a book in called ideas of consequences and he wrote that the modern press is actually a highly negative force in our society he was not opposed to a free press but he was repelled by what it had become He said for Plato, truth was a living thing, never wholly captured by men, even in animated discourse, and in its purest form, certainly never brought to paper. In our day, it would seem that a contrary presumption has grown up. The more firmly an utterance is stereotyped, the more likely it is to win credit. It is assumed that engines as expensive and as powerful as the modern printing press will naturally be placed in the hands of men of knowledge. Faith in the printed word has raised journalism to the rank of oracles. And how could there be a better description of them than this line from Federsus? They will appear to be omniscient and will generally know nothing. They will be tiresome, having the reputation of knowledge without the reality. Weaver said, if the realization of truth is the product of meeting of the minds, we may be skeptical of the physical ability of the, me- the mechanism to propagate it as long as the propagation is limited to the printing and distribution of stories which give one unvarying answer, quote-unquote. And this circumstance brings at once the question of the intention of the rulers of the press. There's much to indicate that modern publication wishes to minimize discussion. Despite many artful pretensions to the contrary, it does not want an exchange of views, say perhaps on own academic matters. Instead, it encourages men to read in the hope that they will absorb, in other words, propaganda. In this, Weaver is condemning the nature of media's organized propaganda, involving individuals who are not particularly bright or knowledgeable about the matters on which they write or speak, but are propagandists for particular viewpoints. Weaver argued that there is another circumstance which raises grave doubts about the contribution of journalism to the public wheel. Newspapers and all media today ...are under strong pressure to distort in the interest of holding attention. It is an inescapable fact that newspapers thrive on friction and conflict. It is an inescapable fact... ...one has only to survey the headlines of some popular journal... ...often presented symbolically in red... ...to note the kind of thing which is considered news. Behind the big story, there nearly always lies a battle of some sort. Conflict, after all, is the essence of drama... And he says in reviewing the persistent tendency of the newspapers to corrupt, I shall cite a passage from author James Fenimore, Fenimore Cooper. Though Cooper lived before the advent of yellow journalism, he seems to have stated the essential situation with a truth and eloquence impossible to improve on, when he said in the American Democrat, a newspaper, quote, As the press of this country now exists, it would seem to be expressly devised by the great agent of mischief to depress and destroy all that is good and to elevate in advance all that is evil in the nation. The little truth that is urged is usually urged coarsely, weakened, and rendered vicious by personalities. While well, those who live by falsehoods, fallacies, enmities, partialities, and the schemes of the designing find the press the very instrument that the devils would invent to affect their designs. It's true, isn't it? Weaver and Cooper were highlighting what would become the media's use of targeted personal attacks on individuals and subjects they defy or resist the trajectory of events and movements for which journalists have become committed and open advocates. This is seen every day with, for example, the relentless polemical characterizations of individuals and groups as climate change deniers, Trump deplorables, white supremacists, etc., 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 etc. <coughs> Excuse me. The media have and are doing enormous damage to this country. Enormous damage to this country. They were happy with a George W. Bush. Even though they trashed the hell out of him, they knew he wasn't a threat to the establishment order. They were happy with George H.W. Bush. Even though they trashed him, they knew he wasn't a threat to the established order. They tried to destroy Ronald Reagan, they wanted him to be impeached, they went after his staffers, because they knew he was not part of the entrenched establishment in Washington, or part of the Republics. And of course, they've gone after Donald Trump like no president in American history. And What the Republicans will never understand is that no Republican will satisfy them. They want the rollover Republicans, the RORs, the rollover Republicans. That's what they want. They promise them they'll be attacked, but not attacked like Trump, but they have to go along ultimately with the trajectory of the American Marxist movement. Trump would have none of that. And so that's why they treat him as if he's Adolf Hitler. Although, I might say, for the New York Times, they treated Adolf Hitler pretty well, quite frankly. Oh, they certainly did. But this is how they view you. They think they're smarter than you, and actually, most of them are pretty stupid. They haven't achieved very much. They haven't improved this nation. And then, of course, just like Saulinsky. After they personally attack you <coughs> or a movement excuse me, with which they don't agree, then they accuse that individual or movement of being divisive. If you fight back, you're the worst kind of divisive leader or public official. That's the way they think. It's important to spend time on this today so you understand what in your gut you already knew, but understand from a cerebral position, which is, that they are gearing up, and they're gearing up to try and destroy Trump, which is why they embrace this January 6th group, which are throwing subpoenas at individuals who have no connection to January 6th and are going on a fishing expedition to try and embarrass them. Just like the NFL leaked John Gruden's emails but didn't leak anybody else's, they have 650,000 emails. But apparently only John Gruden's emails were worth leaking to the New York Times. I'll be right back. love in. or George Stephanopoulos or, and so forth. This proves the point. I want you to listen to this. This is Chuck Todd with Pete Buttigieg on we'll Meet the Press. And remember, this guy's in charge of, Buttigieg, transportation issues which supply chain issues. And he takes two months off and nobody knows and they don't even have a deputy secretary of transportation. Cut to go. Uh,
5: I know you've been under some um, bizarre attack for taking paid leave uh, by some some loudmouths um, uh, in our political system. So let's wanna... stop
1: right there. Does that sound like a real journalist to you, Mr. Producer? I know you've been under some bizarre attack for taking paid leave by some loudmouths in our political system. See Chuck Todd is unaffected by inflation. He's unaffected by food prices. He can just look at the guy and tell. He's unaffected by the price increases on gasoline. He's unaffected by all of it. None of the media is affected by any of this. Any of it. Period. And so this is how they view you. Here's a guy who takes two months off for family leave. Let me ask you something, Mr. Producer. When's the last time I took two months off? I've never taken two months off. When I had a bad heart attack, I didn't take two months off. In fact, I came back too fast. But all that said, you know, when you're the cabinet secretary, even though you may be able to take off two months or whatever as a matter of regulation or law or what have you, you don't do it. Because you have things to do for the country. But anyway, go ahead.
5: Doubt paid family leave in general because it it apparently may not be in the final part of Build Back Better. Um, You took it, uh, uh, the federal government offers it to federal government employees. Um, What does it say if the president can't get paid family leave into his agenda?
1: Now is is this the kind of question that a real journalist would ask? In other words, asking a guy who just took federal paid family leave because he's a federal employee. What if the president can't get it into his agenda? He doesn't ask questions like, who's going to pay for this? Or what's the cap on this? Or what's the effect on businesses and the job market? No, no, no. What does it say if the president can't get it back into his agenda? Because Chuck Todd is rooting. Because he's a fraud. He's a Democrat, and so is his wife, a Democrat consultant. Go ahead.
4: Well, uh, it, it's on the president's agenda. It's in the Build Back Better plan, and I'm, I'm proud to work for an administration. Think, but it may that not last the walk on family. But, but it
1: may not last, Pete. It may, it, it may not last. What, what are you, you going to do? What are you going to do?
4: Go ahead. It may not last. You know, let me tell you, it, it is in the president's vision, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll see what uh, the legislative process is going to bring. Uh, but the president's been very clear on what he's calling for. Fascinating the, interview,
1: isn't it? Monotonous. That's why most of these Sunday shows nobody watches them. They're monotonous, they're predictable. This is a Democrat operative talking to a Democrat operative. One is dressed up as a journalist and one is dressed up as a cabinet secretary. Now you can be assured, if the shoe are on the other foot, any Republican cabinet secretary for any Republican administration, if the transportation department had taken two months off for family leave, and we had this enormous economic crisis with the supply chain that he wouldn't get asked the question. Hey, what do you think of these idiots or these loudmouths questioning you? I mean, you know, I can't believe you'd think he'd get that from this jerk. I really miss Tim Russert. You know, Tim Russert was a Democrat on Capitol. But the guy was mostly fair. He was tough. And he was smart. And he was, he, he, he was one of the few that managed to transition from working on Capitol Hill to a real journalist. He really was. Again, I didn't always agree with him, but he always asked about spending and balanced budgets. He would always ask them, which was never on the Democrat agenda. But he would ask Republicans to, you'll never get a question like that from Schmuck Todd. It won't happen. Well, these loudmouths, you know, political people, these loudmouths questioning you for taking family leave, you know, what's that all about? I don't know. When Ted Cruz flew his two daughters uh, to an event and then flew back, nobody defended him on family leave. Did they, Mr. Reducer? I don't think so. No, they trashed the hell out of him. I do have a proposal though, Chuck Todd. Why don't you take your full 3 months of family leave? I don't know if NBC offers it, but you do the nation a great service. I'll be right back.
0: He's here. He's here. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America.
1: Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I want to make a report to the Internal Revenue Service that is part of the Department of Treasury. I want to make a report to the Treasury, excuse me, the Tax Division and the uh, Department of Justice, the Criminal Division and the Attorney General publicly, that Kamala Harris and Stacey Abrams have, uh, have violated a federal tax law, as has Terry McAuliffe. You know, preachers whatever faith, they can speak to issues, even walk up to the line when it comes to politics, but they cannot be overt. They cannot be part of a campaign plan with videos, with messaging, turn out the vote. It's illegal because these institutions are tax-exempt, and they're tax-exempt because, among other things, they're neither profit-making nor political. And yet Kamala Harris has produced a video for the Terry McAuliffe campaign. And they're working very hard to get out the vote in black churches and black communities. And Virginia churches are airing Kamala Harris's endorsement of Terry McAuliffe and her urging parishioners to vote after attending church. I don't recall such a blatant and aggressive violation of federal tax law. But on the other hand, um, what do they have the fear, given the Department of Justice? I hope you heard my monologue on Life, Liberty, and Levin last night on the Fox News channel. I suspect some people there didn't like it. I can guarantee you that the Bushies and the Cheneyites and the Never-Trumpers didn't like it. And uh, I don't know, Rich, should I bother playing some of it now or three, or should I just tell people where to listen to it? I'll figure that out during the course of the program. But here is Kamala Harris in a video message. It's going to be heard in more than 300 black churches in Virginia. Cut nine, go.
6: One of the most significant ways I believe that we can each use our voice is through our vote. So Virginians, you have the opportunity now to raise your voice through your vote because it's election time. As you know, this is an important election coming up on Tuesday, November 2nd, and early voting is already underway. I believe that my friend Terry McAuliffe is the leader Virginia needs at this moment. Terry McAuliffe has a long track record of getting things done for the people of Virginia. When he was governor, in the wake of the recession, you'll remember, he brought 200,000 jobs to Virginia. Incomes went up, and unemployment went down in every city and county in the state. And now... most of that,
1: by the way, is due to the federal government, which Virginia relies on more and more and more. Go ahead.
6: ...is stepping up again with a clear vision about how to rebuild Virginia's economy for the future, to raise the minimum wage, to make health care more affordable, to give every child a world-class education.
1: Now, what they won't put in that video in the over 300 black churches in Virginia is that Terry McAuliffe defeated two black women who ran against him uh, in the Democrat primary. That's Terry McAuliffe. But what does Kamala Harris care? Now, this is a blatant violation of federal law. I'm going to get to this in a moment. And the Democrats are not going to stop. The Attorney General of Virginia is a Democrat. The Attorney General of the United States, obviously, a Democrat. The US Attorney is a Democrat. They're not going to stop. Meanwhile, Stacey Abrams is campaigning in black churches in Virginia, too, doing the same thing in violation of federal tax law. Cut, 10, go.
7: You see, I'm here to tell you that just because you win doesn't mean you're won. We've got folks who are ready to take back what they think is theirs, but they are not entitled to our progress. They are not entitled to our justice.
1: What is she screaming about? Go ahead.
7: not entitled to our votes, but either we use them or we lose them. I come from a state where I was not entitled to become the governor.
1: I don't I don't get this. How come she's not demeaned for not accepting the election results where she actually lost? How come she's not demeaned? How come the Democrats are happy to campaign with her, but then they trash Trump? Go ahead.
7: American citizen and a citizen of Georgia, I'm going to fight for every person who has the right to vote to be able to cast that vote. And here in Virginia, you need to cast that vote for Terry McAuliffe. You need to cast that vote for Hala Ayala. You need to cast Hala
1: that Hala Ayala. Go ahead.
7: Mark Herring. And while you're at it, go all the way by down By the
1: way, Mark the- Herring was uh, one of the guys that had blackface some time ago. You see what frauds These Democrats are absolute frauds. Go ahead.
7: Don't stop till you reach the bottom. And then double-check your work. Because we know all the way through. Because we know what is possible.
1: Oh, the Republicans commit fraud. So there's two uh, individuals who are campaigning in ways that... Well, I'll read this to you. Let's see, this is uh, this also from The Blaze. Let me find this. Let me find the statute for you. First of all, in 1954, they point out, Congress approved an amendment by Senator Lyndon Johnson to prohibit 501c3 organizations, that's churches and synagogues and mosques, which includes charities and churches from engaging in any political campaign activity. To the extent Congress has revisited the ban over the years, It has, in fact, strengthened the ban. And the most recent change came in 1987 when Congress amended the language to clarify the prohibition also applies to statements opposing candidates. Currently, the law prohibits political campaign activity by charities and churches by defining a 501c3 organization... That it may not participate in or intervene in any political campaign on behalf or in opposition to any candidate for public office. Well, what did they do there? What did they do? The IRS further explains that tax-exempt organizations that violate the law are subject to losing their tax-exempt status. Under the Internal Revenue Code, all Section 501c3 organizations are absolutely prohibited from directly, I'm reading from it, or indirectly participating in or intervening in any political campaign on behalf of or in opposition to any candidate for elected public office, contributions to political campaign funds or public statements of position, verbal or written, and on behalf of the organization in favor of or in opposition to any candidate for public office clearly violate the prohibition against political campaign activity. Violating this prohibition may result in denial, revocation of tax-exempt status, and the imposition of certain excise taxes. Now, that's not going to happen. Over 300 churches are not going to lose their tax status. But shouldn't something be done about the Terry McAuliffe campaign and Kamala Harris and Stacey Abrams? This is like Pesaki the other day. There's a left-wing group called Crew that filed a complaint against her to their credit. When she endorsed Terry McAuliffe from the uh, White House uh, press room, which is a violation of the Hatch Act. Now they're entitled to be involved, uh, these groups, in certain voter education activities, Uh, but clearly Harris's message, and you heard Stacey Abrams' message, goes clearly beyond permitted activity, clearly beyond permitted activity. That's the McCulloch campaign. He's a sleazeball. And he'll do whatever he has to do. And he's still out there denying the critical race theory is being taught to students. So you're all deaf, dumb, and blind, you see? You don't know what's happening to your students. You're just white supremacists who are, who are dividing the state of Virginia. That's all. All the evidence to the contrary. That apparently is who you are. I'll be right back. Mark In. Meanwhile, another one of Terry McCullough's supporters, the uh, Teachers Union, there's two of them, of course. This would be AFT, Randy Weingarten, who's been there a long time, long in the tooth among other things. She was on a Zoom call and a uh, hat-tip right scoop. And you parents out there, again, this is a Terry McAuliffe supporter. And I've told you folks before, all over the country, you have uh, in-service days on the Monday before election and the Tuesday of election. And in many respects, this is allow the army of union members to work the precincts, to work the polling places. And these school boards, not all, but most of which are no damn good, support it. So here she is on the Zoom call. Cut 13, go.
6: And the letter that the National School Board sent, I read that letter. I talked to them. It was about, not dissent, but about actual violence.
1: Okay, where is that? Where is that? I've seen some teacher strikes where there was actual violence. Uh, Where are the parents being violent? See, it just depends. I I pointed out early on last week, the attempt to, uh, to break into the Department of Interior looked like a riot. Police were hurt. One was sent to the hospital. Most of the media didn't cover it. Most of the media didn't cover it. No commission, not a word from Lynn Cheney or Adam Kingsner. Looks like he's going to be jerrymandered out of his seat. No loss there, I might add. Go ahead.
6: Allow and enable bullying and violence. And I say this as someone... Oh,
1: that's pretty funny. School, here we have the Americans' Federation for Teachers. Can't allow bullying. Which, of course, the teachers' unions never do. They never bully anybody, do they? They never threaten anybody. They never harass anybody. And did she speak out against Black Lives Matter when they were chasing after Senators? Did she speak out against that illegal alien organization that was chasing after Senator Cinema? No, I didn't hear any of that. How about when the cities were burning two summers ago? Did she speak out against harassment and bullying and violence then? No, she didn't. AFT and NEA embrace Black Lives Matter, as does the Democrat Party. Go ahead
6: on a front line of doing demonstrations if we enable and allow violence as opposed to real conversations Okay,
1: first of all you're not enabling and allowing violence you clown that's number one number two real conversations with the teachers unions have you ever actually tried that ladies and gentlemen it's their way or the highway their way or the highway Look at that teachers' union in L.A. What they were doing to those kids and their threats. They used it as an opportunity to blackmail the, the town, the city. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And by the way, critical race theory. How can you have a conversation if they won't even admit that they're teaching critical race theory? They have the propaganda media at MSNBC, Joy Reid, a true reprobate. And then you have this clown, McAuliffe, running around the state saying people are being stirred up by critical race theory, which is not taught in Virginia. But of course it's taught in Virginia. And this is what he said today. Today.
0: Cut 12, go. We don't teach critical race theory here in Virginia. It's never been taught. But in Loudoun County, everybody's stirred up. Everybody thinks we're teaching you know that you know every white person was a slave owner. I mean, it just—that's okay, kind of...
1: right, not what critical race theory is, says. That every white person was a slave owner. I'm starting to believe this guy's dumber than Joe Biden. It's a very, very low standard, but unbelievable. Critical race theory doesn't teach that every white person is a slave owner. And you recall when he was actually questioned by a real reporter for a local television station away from Washington, D.C., but in Virginia. He couldn't even explain what critical race theory is. But he just knows it's not taught in Virginia. Well, he does not know what it is, and it is taught in Virginia. Go ahead.
0: To me, in the sense that it's a racist dog whistle? It's
1: not a it's racist not. dog whistle. Well, maybe it is from your side of the aisle. Because critical race theory is racism. But look what he does. So all you folks out there, all you folks out there who object to critical race theory being taught to your kids in elementary school, middle school, high school, colleges and universities and so forth and so on, all you folks out there, you're just responding to a racist dog whistle. In fact, you may be the ones with the racist dog whistle. Does this sound like a guy who wants to have a conversation Now, it doesn't sound like a guy who wants to have a conversation. He's a liar and a buffoon.
0: Go ahead. Great schools, we're number one in the country for higher ed. We're number four in America for um, K-12. And the way he's stirring these
3: parents What does that have to
1: do with any of this? What does that have to do with that? I don't even know if that's correct. But let's say it is correct. What does that have to do with any of this? It has nothing to do with any of this. Maybe Virginia's number one in the country in pushing genderism. Or having the number of assaults in their high schools. Or pushing critical race theory. Go ahead. Using children as pawns. And, but whatever. It is what it is. So now, Glenn Youngkin's using children as pawns. In that whole 30-second bit there, ladies and gentlemen, he had multiple lies. Critical race theory is not taught in Virginia. Uh, We're not teaching every white person that they were a slave owner. I mean, what kind of a comment is that? It's a racist dog whistle, and Yunkin is stirring up kids using them as pawns. And this guy wants to be governor a second time around. He was a lousy, lousy governor, which is why he's he's running scared right now. If he had been a great governor, he wouldn't be running scared. You know, the first black governor, could have been of the United States, but certainly Virginia, trashed the hell out of McCullough. Pointed out that he had defeated two black women to get the nomination. Pointed out that he had condemned the current governor. When he had that photo with him in blackface and kind of a Klan outfit which he apologized for, and then people told him, it was probably his lawyers, they can't tell it to you, dummy, why did you do that? And they said, well, I I don't remember, I don't remember if that's me, I don't remember if that's me. You don't remember if you're wearing a Klan outfit or blackface in college? Oh, yeah, the Democrat Party in Virginia is much like the National Party. Then we have a lieutenant governor, two women came forward and accused him of rape. Two very credible women. And then we have another, an attorney general who said, oh, well, uh, yeah, I did blackface once too. I don't know, is this common? I never did blackface, and I don't know anybody who ever did it. Apparently it's common among the, uh, the elected Democrats. I'll be right back.
0: Liberal potholes. He's a truck full of hot constitutional asphalt. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811.
1: You folks know why I left Twitter and Facebook, right? I don't work for Twitter and Facebook. I voluntarily went on those social sites, Twitter and Facebook. Millions of us did. Millions of us created communities on Twitter and Facebook. But Twitter and Facebook are the enemy. They believe in censorship. And they believe in promoting lies, among other things. They believe in using left-wing third parties to put the scarlet letter on your forehead. Treat you like you're a third grader. They have banned Donald Trump because they knew that's how he effectively reported to the American people. I chose not to participate in that kind of tyranny. And I chose not to participate in that kind of totalitarianism. And I was not going to subject you folks, at least through my sites, to any more data mining and enriching these corporations off your backs. So I voluntarily joined these companies and I voluntarily left these companies. Went to parlor. Now we're on getter. Parlor and getter. I don't believe Too many people on TV or radio have done the same thing, as a matter of principle. I don't believe they have. Because for many of them, I'm not talking about anyone in particular, but many of them it's too lucrative. They need to promote themselves, promote their side businesses, promote whatever they're doing. And so they choose not to do it. That is to leave. And they want the hits. And they want the following. Well, I chose to leave. And I'm not going back to Twitter or Facebook. Because I think they are damaging our country. They sought to influence the last election. Zuckerberg, among others. Twitter. I think they collude. And try and destroy competition. These are the characteristics of a tyranny. And so I'm not going to participate in it. They've destroyed many careers. By giving voice and platform. To American Marxists. The so-called woke culture. The cancelling of individuals. They've facilitated that. And so I want nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with them. Anybody that has an additional thought on the coronavirus, including experts, medical and scientific, they're banned or shadowed. In other words, they're undermined. Much like Wikipedia. So for me, I felt it would be hypocritical and unprincipled for me to continue on Twitter, despite millions of followers, and to continue on Facebook. So on January 1st, it was January 1st, right, Rich? Facebook January 1st, when did I get out of Twitter? February 1st, I guess. On January 1st, I left. I left. And so you can do the same thing. Twitter and Facebook have hurt a lot of people. They've hurt the reputation of a lot of people. In my view, they have have unbelievably affected the outcome of elections. And they do the dirty work of the Democrat Party and the American Marxists. You see what Zuckerberg did with over $400 million in the last election, if you heard me on uh, Life, Liberty, and Levin this past yesterday, Sunday night. People dump on big tech, and yet they rely on them. Why is that? They dump on big tech, and they rely on them. I dump on big tech, and I want nothing to do with them. Period. Now, I believe we have a Sputnik moment here, ladies and gentlemen. Many of you are too young to know what Sputnik is, or was, I should say. Well, Sputnik changed everything. On October 4, 1957, the Soviet Union launched successfully the world's first artificial satellite. That's what they called it. It's about the size of a beach ball. Weighed only 83.6 kilometer. That's about 83, 183 or four pounds. Orbited the Earth for about 98 minutes. And it ushered in a new political, military, technological, and scientific Cold War. Well, that's just happened with the Communist Chinese. And I've said we've been in a Cold War with them for years. We may not have accepted it as a Cold War, but they sure is how we're fighting it. They sure is how we're fighting it. They, uh, Beijing entered into a hypersonic missile race. And according to MSN, It uh, shocked not just the United States, but the Russians. The global hypersonic arms race is heating up worldwide after China tested a top-secret weapon that can circle the globe at 21,000 miles per hour and descend from space to strike anywhere on Earth in minutes. The missiles designed to travel in low orbit to dodge missile detection and defense systems, allowing China to strike virtually anywhere on the planet with little or no warning. It comes amid warnings from experts that America will lose a new Cold War arms race to China within the next decade unless it takes a tougher stance against Beijing. We can take a tough stance against Beijing, but the Democrats are holding us back. They don't support any of these new efforts. They opposed... The Patriot Missile System. We're not even modernizing our nuclear weapons. Where the Russians have modernized almost 80% of theirs. China's new weapon is only one of a series of hypersonic weapons being developed by Beijing, Russia and the U.S. The U.S. and Russia have also spent decades working on their own hypersonic nuclear-capable systems. and The two countries have conducted tests on the weapons in recent months. Here's the difference. The Chinese have stolen our technology and improved it, while we sit on our hands. Washington and Moscow have only made public details of their medium-range hypersonic weapons that are designed to be launched from ships or planes and do not strike from space. But China's testing now of a 25,000-mile-per-hour hypersonic missile which flew through space before launching an attack on its target, took analysts by surprise, indicated Beijing's missile program is more advanced than previously thought. Those are the extent of the details as they're known right now. Now our missile, called the Arrow, can reach a speed of 15,345 miles per hour. The what they call the fractional orbit bombardment system, or the Chinese new missile that they fired, the top speed is not 25,000 miles per hour. Excuse me, it's 21,000 miles per hour. The range is unlimited. The range of our missile is believed to be about a thousand miles, but it's not certain. Launched from a B-1B bomber. The Chinese can launch their missile from any land base. Um, the cruising altitude for our missiles a thousand miles. The cruising altitude for the Chinese missile it can pop out of space but it has low earth orbit as well. So they have now jumped us. The Chinese are pushing on all fronts, ladies and gentlemen, this is no joke. So this is our Sputnik moment, except not with Russia, with Communist China. With Communist China. And we have exactly the wrong President, exactly the wrong Secretary of State, exactly the wrong Secretary of Defense, exactly the wrong Speaker, and exactly the wrong Democrat leader in the Senate. Not to mention the wrong Generals. Pretty damn shocking. If we don't get our act together, we're not going to be the strongest superpower on the face of the earth. And to be an also-ran, when you talk about weapons like this, is to be a loser. I'll be right back. love
8: Levin.
1: keep their Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts while correctly complaining about them and attacking them? Why stay on Twitter when they banned Donald Trump for life and have banned outstanding medical and scientific experts who don't go along with the party line on the virus and so forth? Why? I've seen we do okay without Twitter and Facebook. We're at 1.1 million on American Marxism. I've got a very big audience here and elsewhere. So Twitter and Facebook aren't essential. Certainly not to getting out our message of liberty, private property rights, free will, and those sorts of things. Absolutely unnecessary. And why have your followers and and friends follow you and friend you when you know their data is going to be used by these reprobates to make billions more as they use and sell your data? I didn't want that for you anymore. I didn't want that for you anymore and I didn't want it for me either. So I said enough with big tech and their attack on speech, and their attack on our election system, and our, their attack on knowledge. Enough of that. Enough of that. If you want to really learn about the virus, you don't go on Twitter or Facebook anymore because they're censoring people. They're censoring people. They covered up the Hunter Biden scandal in order to help Biden win the election. So as a matter of principle. I want nothing to do with them. Nothing. They covered it up. They went after the New York Post. A truly legitimate. Old, the oldest newspaper in the country. Or certainly one of them. That's what totalitarian regimes do. They play footsie with the Communist Chinese. When the Communist Chinese regime tell them not to do something, they comply. Tell them to do something, they comply. Look at Apple. How many of you have given up your iPhones? Look at all the money Apple makes for Communist China, by manufacturing in Communist China. China's our enemy, in every respect, including our military enemy. Apple is a big source of revenue for communist China. But many of us still have our iPhones, don't we? Look at all the jobs they've destroyed in the United States, Apple. By having manufacturing plants In a communist regime that is building weapons intended to hit our continent. It's pretty frightening, isn't it? I think it is. It's very frightening. Do I have time for a call, Mr. Producer? Michael in Philadelphia, the great WPHT. One minute, my friend. Go right ahead. Mark, what's happening?
4: Mark, um, I'm really glad you came. I'm really sorry. I started listening to you. I wasn't involved in a politics before, but now I am. And you guys are informing me. My, 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 uh, my question is, how are we going to overcome it? Is there going to be enough people to turn around and win the election and start turning stuff backwards? You know what I'm saying?
1: We're, uh, we're going to find out in about a year. and uh, We're going to find out on the presidential level in about two years.
4: Well, obviously now I see what's going on. It's a part of it what they're trying to get their socialism platform through actually news and Biden as a as a, a puppet, you know? And and then and, and try to push all, this, all this stuff through. Am I correct?
1: You are correct. And you need to be the uh, Paul Revere in your community in Philadelphia. Real fast, where are you in Philadelphia?
4: Haverford. Haverford,
1: uh, you're right outside of Philly. That's a nice area filled with leftists. We'll do the very best
0: you can, Michael. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin.
1: 877 381 381 Executive privilege. What is executive privilege? You've heard it over the decades. Every president, at one time or another, asserts executive privilege. And that's part of the battle between the branches. In this case, the two elected branches the legislature and the executive, both trying to defend their domain. At least that's the assertion. Now, in the case of executive privilege, you have the President of the United States saying, in essence, Congress has no legitimate constitutional basis for collecting this information. Uh, the only reason Congress collects information is for a legislative purpose. They're not to conduct criminal investigations civil investigations, the executive branch does that, and of course they're adjudicated by the judicial branch. So Congress has to have a legislative purpose. Does executive privilege apply when a president leaves office? Now that issue has never been really clearly, clearly, definitively answered by a court that is by the Supreme Court. But the suggestion would be yes, it does. Because otherwise a Congress can wait out a president and collect the information, at least theoretically, without that former president having any defense. So the materials are the issue. If those materials would be subject to executive privilege, if the President were still in office, then those materials should be subject to executive privilege when he's out of office. Because the argument really doesn't change, it's a separation of powers argument, not an argument about a personality. Well, not surprising, the Democrat Nancy Pelosi, Bureau investigation, wants all kinds of information from former President Trump, from Steve Bannon, and from others who worked with Trump when he was President of the United States, as well as information in the case of Bannon after he had worked for Trump and was back in the private sector. Joe Biden, being the unprincipled jerk that he is, said, well, I'm not going to assert executive privilege at all. I'll give you whatever you want. So he has no compunction about failing to defend the privileges of the executive branch under separation of powers. None whatsoever. Because remember what I keep telling you, these people are about power, their own power. That's all. And destroying anybody who gets in their way. And so, this is an important question, you see. Furthermore, in the case of Bannon and Mark Meadows and others, and in, as well as the President of the United States, on what basis do they, do they send these, these subpoenas? They're throwing them around like popcorn. You need to have some kind of nexus to something. You don't just get to do these fishing expositions because you're Congress or a Politburo appointed by Nancy Pelosi for the purpose of trying to dig up embarrassing information or other kinds of information. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Subpoena is supposed to be narrowly focused, and there needs to be a, a legitimate basis for it, not, well, Bannon was close to Trump, God knows what he said, so here's his subpoena. Give us all your emails from this date to that date, and this date to that date. No, that ought to be challenged. That ought to be challenged. Congress is still government. None of us want to be treated this way. And the materials, at least some of them, still have an executive privilege, depending on what they want and when they wanted it, from what period, ...still have an executive privilege protection. Certainly some of them. So this matter is going to be litigated. The Democrats in the House can vote all day long... ...to make a criminal referral to the Department of Justice. But this matter can be litigated. And should be litigated. So there's the big dummy... Joe Biden, I don't know if he's walking to a helicopter, from a helicopter, to the men's room, to the transgender room. I don't know what he's doing. But he's asked, he's asked, should these people be prosecuted who don't comply with these congressional subpoenas? He said, absolutely. They should be prosecuted. And he suggested they should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. To the full extent of the law. On an issue that hasn't even been resolved. That hasn't even been resolved. So the goal here is to make life miserable for the former president and these other individuals. And to drain further resources from them with their lawyers. That's pretty much the goal because there are legitimate constitutional issues about this. Quite legitimate. Now Adam Schiff was asked about this on MSLSD yesterday, where the collective IQ is in the low negatives. And Adam Schiff, who is a coupster, that is, one of the leading efforts by him to uh, institute a coup against the uh, former president, Well, he's back at it. Here's what he says. Cut 17. Go.
9: And we'll pass it out of the committee on Tuesday. I don't know the date uh, that we will take it up on the floor. We hope to take it up very soon. But uh, we're not we're not messing around here. Uh, We're moving very expeditiously. Uh, To me, this is an early sign of uh, whether our democracy is recovering,
1: whether our democracy is recovering. What a sick bastard. Go ahead
9: whether uh, it's true that no one is above the law, that the rule of law must apply. Uh, really? so we...
1: The rule of law must apply? Except when it comes to you and your party. You aware Terry McAuliffe, what he was doing today? Kamala Harris, Stacey Abrams, all violating, in my view, the federal tax code? Go ahead.
9: And to go after anyone who doesn't provide information that they're lawfully compelled to, to our committee.
1: Now, that's the issue, whether they're lawfully compelled to, to your committee. That's the issue. And I would argue they're not. I mean, I don't know what the court's going to decide, but I would argue they're not. And so Peter Ducey, one of the few journalists, serious journalists in this country, he's at the White House, of course, and he goes back and forth with Pasaki who's nothing more than a flim-flam propagandist. Cut 16,
5: go. Why did the president break his promise not to enter into any decisions about what cases the Justice Department should bring and not bring?
2: Uh, how did he break his promise?
5: Well, he was asked if the DOJ should prosecute people who defy January 6th committee subpoenas, and he did not say, I will let the Justice Department decide. He said, yes.
2: Well, let me reiterate, and I put out a statement also on Friday night to this uh, to this, uh op- on this, uh, where I conveyed clearly that, one, the president continues to believe that January 6th was uh, one of the darkest days in our democracy. He also continues to believe that the Department of Justice uh, has the purview and independence to make decisions about prosecutions. And that is, continues to be his view, and that it continues to be how he, is, uh, he will govern.
5: You say that that is his view, but that is not what he said.
2: I just conveyed what his view is, and that is also how he has operated, how he has governed, and how he will continue to govern. And I think that's what's important for people to watch.
5: So then what's changed since last year when he said, I will not do what this president, former President Trump does, and use the Justice Department as my vehicle to insist that something happened?
2: Well... Since you give me the opportunity here, President, former President Trump used his office to incite an insurrection. He put political pressure on senior DOJ officials to propagate lies about the election to the point where they threatened to resign en masse. I think there's hardly a comparison there.
5: He said, President Biden said, the Justice Department in my administration will be totally independent of me. And he said he would not. You know what's good
1: about Ducey? He is not distracted. Have you noticed that, Mr. Producer? He doesn't bite that hook. No, 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 no. He stays laser focused.
5: Go ahead. Uh, what cases the agency would bring and not bring? How is that And he, exactly And he has doing? not,
2: and he will not. And so criminal, prosecutions, criminal prosecutions are there He
1: said yes. What do you mean? He will not? He said yes. They should be prosecuted. Yes, he said. Just like his buddy Obama during his presidency, would send signals to the Department of Justice. Don't prosecute Hillary Clinton. That's pretty much the signal he sent. But they get away with this because of the corrupt media. You know, the media that really has to take down you and me and Trump and everybody. Yeah, we're really sick of these people. Go ahead.
2: Purview Criminal prosecutions are the sole purview of the Department of Justice. That we is know the that. So position. then
1: why did your man, the idiot, say yes to prosecutions? And I just want you, the American people, to understand there is an issue of executive privilege here. It's not so black and white that if you don't respond to one of their subpoenas, then you're violating a law, you're committing a crime, and then you're going to be prosecuted. There's serious constitutional question here. I'm sure Liz Cheney's all over this, being the constitutionalist that she is. I'll be right back. Denise from Colorado, Sirius Satellite, from last week on the supply chain, medical supplies. Denise, how are you?
8: I'm fine, Mark. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, thank you. Go right ahead.
8: Well, um, I'm really upset with our transportation secretary, who blows this, you know, just doesn't take this seriously
1: but tell us about the medical supplies
8: okay well i i ordered some x-ray equipment and some of the x-ray equipment i couldn't get because our distributor said that it's on a cargo ship on in the ocean Mm -hmm. and and then um so i talked to him a little bit more and and it's like he's having some issues getting the supplies in from his, from overseas. But also, Mark, the bigger problem is um, we're having this problem with all of our supplies.
1: And you and your so husband either, run a private uh, medical office, doctor's office.
8: Yes, yes, and yeah, in small town Colorado. Mm-hmm. And because we're, we're not, there's a backlog of supplies and then our supply costs have increased.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you for your call. I understand it's getting pretty ugly out there. In fact, very ugly out there. Let's go to Tony Rochester, New York, the great WHAM, our great affiliate there. Tony, how are you, sir?
0: Hello. Hello, Mr. Levin. I want to thank you for... Mr.
9: Levin.
1: I'm here.
0: Hello.
1: Yeah, hold on one second, Tony. Let me explain everybody what's going on. We are fixing our phone system, finally, because there are unacceptable delays in a program like this between the time I say hello and somebody hears me and replies. So they're working on that. I'm told we're putting in a spanking brand-new system. So these calls are flowing through California back to the East Coast, and that's the delay, and hopefully uh, by tomorrow uh, the new system will be in place. Go ahead, Tony.
0: Well, I want to thank you, Mr. Levin, for, first of all, being a voice in the wilderness out there. Um, As you were saying earlier, I don't understand why Americans buy any products made in China for a long time. have uh, checked out products to see where they're manufactured, and a lot of times you just can't tell because it says distributed by, and it's a country in America, uh, it's a company in America. So I thought there was a law at one point where, it had to be printed on uh, the packaging of the product to tell you where the country of origin or manufacturer was, but apparently I haven't seen that. Uh, I don't know if that was under the Trump administration. But I do not buy any products made in China. Uh, I'll buy them made in Mexico. I'll buy right. them made in Vietnam. I'll buy them in products because that's what I have to get. But I mainly look for products made in the United States. I, I don't understand why Americans would buy... Products.
1: Look, t- I, I agree with you. Part of the problem is, um, like certain drugs, uh, because they have certain elements in China that we don't have, certain material that we don't have. I mean, in the ground and so forth. There's no escaping it. Uh, but in terms of basic manufacturing, you're 100% right. And Washington talks about this now. You know, the first one to talk about this was Trump. Washington never talked about this, but they talk about it now. And um, here's the problem. The Chinese have bought off so many of our institutions, including politicians. Look at Swalwell. Uh, Look at Pelosi. Look at Feinstein, who you don't even hear from anymore. Look at these colleges and universities with these Confucius Institutes. Look at Hollywood and how much money China has in the movie industry. Um, And then you look at our products, too. They have... uh, they have spread like a virus, like a poison throughout this society. And the one guy trying to put the brakes on it was Donald Trump. And I think to some extent that's why they tried to take him out, because he, uh, because he was trying to stop them. And just look, from the NBA and Nike to Apple and, uh, and the others, big tech was also in China. They're all in China. So it's not so simple. But you're right. I mean, we're not at war with Vietnam anymore. In fact, Vietnam is very hostile towards China because China keeps stealing their mineral rights under the ocean and keeps threatening their fishing ships. Uh, So Vietnam now is is, uh, much more uh, friendly with us than they are with communist China. Uh, Also products from India. India is uh, hostile to communist China, too. That is if you can't find the products in the United States. So I agree with you. I agree 100% with you. Alright, my friend, I appreciate your call. Good call. Let us go to Dave, Allentown, Pennsylvania, who's listening to the big fifty thousand water, we're told, from WABC. Dave, go right ahead.
9: Hello, Mr. Levin. I respect you as far as you not you only you tell the truth, you got the guts to do it.
1: Well, thank you.
9: But to, and very few people do. But the reason I'm calling is about, I used to listen to Sunday news shows, you know, when they still had Pat Buchanan and they had, I can't think of her name, against the other two. But I will, I refuse to even put them channels on anymore. Mm-hmm. Because...
1: By the way, you're not the only one, because their ratings are in the toilet.
9: And I won't turn it on, just like even NFL football. I like NFL football. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I will not turn it on because, uh, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to give these people the ratings. All I want to say is you're a great American. You're the right.
1: You're I, very, very kind there in Allentown. You take care of yourself, Dave. I appreciate it.
9: We'll be right back.
4: America's Tyranny Hunter. Call in now, 877-381-3811.
1: MRC Newsbusters, Kyle Drennan, Andrea Mitchell falsely claims the Republican Party booed Powell at the 2000 convention. As news broke Monday morning of the passing of former Secretary of State and Joint Chiefs Chairman Colin Powell on NBC's Today show... Andrea Mitchell jumped at the chance to exploit his death to bash Republicans. But in her ghoulish rush to do so, she got her facts wrong when she falsely claimed he was booed at the 2000 GOP National Convention. She said, I was on the floor of the convention in 2000 and fled off when Republicans booed him. She even went so far as to argue that that moment began the late general shift to the Democrat Party years later. She said, but he has stood out from his Republican Party even back in 2000 at the convention for speaking up for black rights and eventually did endorse Barack Obama, as you know. Later on, 12 p.m., MSNBC show, Mitchell recalled what supposedly upset the GOP crowd. She said, I remember being on the floor of the convention, the GOP convention in Philadelphia in 2000. He was booed from the floor because he spoke about affirmative action. She declared again, and that was the beginning of a public break, you know, internally for him with the Republican Party. Mitchell then fondly remembered, quote, and so the endorsement on Meet the Press with Tom broke in 2008 of Barack Obama, the black candidate, was such a momentous occasion in politics. By the way, I was at that convention, and I don't remember any booing, and I was right. Despite Mitchell's unchallenged assertions about Powell being derided by Republicans in 2000, An examination of C-SPAN's coverage of the GOP convention that year does not show him being booed at all. In fact, during the passage of his speech dealing with affirmative action, which Mitchell specifically cited, only cheers and applause were heard. The footage shown on screen displayed people on the convention floor celebrating Powell's speech. Perhaps Mitchell heard a small smattering of boos from her spot in the convention hall while covering the event, but there certainly wasn't any sign of that for someone watching on television. And when I say I was at the convention, I wasn't on the floor or anything like that. I was just there. What was that? Six weeks after my heart surgery, and uh, that was not smart as it turned out. I didn't take a two-month family leave for myself. No. Despite all the loudmouths. No, that's somebody else. Sorry. Luke, Terrysburg, Ohio, on the Mark Levin app. Luke, how are you, sir? Count to three. One, two... Hey, how are you?
9: Thanks for taking my call, man. I appreciate it. You bet. It's an honor to to speak to you, sir. I've been listening to you for years. I just wanted to say I'm quite frustrated with the Democratic Party. I mean, I'm a retired Marine, just came back, and seeing everything that our current president is doing is just frustrating me. And, like, everything in Afghanistan and how he's running everything, it's just going down the toilet. It's just, I'm appalled.
1: (laughs) Well thank you for your service. You say you just got out of the service?
9: Yes sir, just did.
1: Well I want to thank you. How many years were you in?
9: Uh, Six and a half. Just got done with medical discharge.
1: Yeah. Well listen, I want to thank you very, very much my friend. You take care of yourself. Let's go to Linda, San Diego, California. Uh, Those call letters are not correct anyway Linda how are you
10: I'm doing great I'm thrilled and relieved to talk to you I need help I'm here in this deep blue crazy state of California and all my friends vehemently hate Trump and I want you know what to
1: you know it's to... funny you say that I don't have friends who vehemently hate Trump because they can't be my friend I'm just I don't saying
10: like them otherwise
1: yeah well but... just me
10: um, I'm not that much of a loner. I, like I say, I live in California. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, so I, I really want to try to get some of them to uh, enlighten them a little bit, but I don't want to lose them as friends, and so I want to engage them in a brief sort of little uh, friendly debate on some issue. And I need your help. I'm not very well spoken, but can you offer me some guidance on um, – uh, some topics like, I don't know, whether it's uh, immigration or Marxism is taking over our country or communist China. It's very, is, it's very uh,
1: hard for me to give you a tutorial in a few minutes near mm-hmm. the end of the show for your friends who I don't know. I mean, are they close-minded or are they just uh, party-goers or what are they?
10: They're bright. They're, uh, we're all seniors. They're voters. And like I say, they don't look beyond Trump. Everything is Trump's fault, and I can't get them to talk about an issue too much, and I need some help in doing that. Well,
1: I don't know that I can help you. See, my, my attitude has been we need to talk to people who aren't so dug in in their hatred. We need to talk to people who, who might be confused or uninformed and so forth, and what you're telling me is that they're, uh, they're just anti-Trumpers. So. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist, other than you know what to, what to prescribe them or how to talk to them. Uh, but my advice to you, ma'am, would be get some new friends. All right, Linda, thank you very much for your call. I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. Now, when uh, Jen Psaki was asked about the Chinese testing hypersonic nuclear missile, I want you to listen to how Dismissive and casual she is about this. Remember I mentioned the Sputnik from 1958? Remember I mentioned the Sputnik? Or 57. But in how the United States was really very, very troubled by what took place. And everybody pulled together. We had to beat the Soviets when it came to space. After you listen to this, tell me if that's the attitude of this White House. Cut 18, go.
6: Can you comment on reports that China tested a nuclear capable hypersonic missile over
2: this summer to the surprise of U.S. officials? Are you accurate, and do you raise concerns about China's nuclear capability? Uh, well, I know General uh, uh, Secretary Austin, I should say, uh, was asked this question this morning and addressed it, uh, but I'm not going to comment on the specific report. I can say an How
1: do you echo- get away with that? On a major, major issue like this, I'm not going to comment on the specific report. You're the spokes idiot for the idiot in the Oval Office. You should comment on it. Absolutely comment on it. Because he's the commander-in-chief, such as he is. Go ahead.
2: Generally speaking, we've made clear our concern about the military capabilities that the PRC continues to pursue.
1: Now, this is Uh, like saying we're very concerned about the military capabilities of the Nazis, and we continue to make our concern known to them. And what do they say? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, we'll pull back. I'm sorry. We didn't realize we were upsetting you. You're concerned. Oh, okay. You dummy. Don't you understand they're doing this... because they hate us, don't you understand that?
2: Go ahead. We have been consistent in our approach with China. Uh, we welcome stiff competition, but do we not? We do not, do not want that competition. We welcome
1: to stiff competition. What do you mean you welcome stiff competition? Oh my God, ladies and gentlemen, can you believe the communist Chinese are listening to this? It's like Millie having a call. If we're going to attack, we'll give you a heads up. These guys, hypersonic, potentially nuclearized missiles that are much faster than anything we've produced so far, and you can't shoot them out of the sky with a Patriot missile missile system, given their speed and their flexibility. And she says she welcomes stiff competition. They stole the technology from us, and they're perfecting it because we're sitting on our asses, The Democrats in Congress are too busy trying to re-engineer our society. This is unbelievable, the collapse of this country. It's the collapse of Rome. Except Rome lasted, by my count, over a thousand years. We're not even into our 300th year. Unbelievable. We welcome stiff competition. No, we don't. Unbelievable. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. All right, let's go to Sharon, Indianapolis, Indiana, Sirius Satellite. Sharon, how are you? Hi,
10: Mark. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. I just wanted to talk about the fact that it is so strange that now all of a sudden you see St- uh, Stacey Adams. I mean –
1: Stacey Abrams. all
10: around. And Stacey Abrams. I'm sorry. But, you know, we never saw her before she ever ran for the governor's race. And all of a sudden then Oprah was helping her.
1: And look, and she, she denies she... that she lost her election. She's celebrated by the media. She's interviewed by CNN and MSNBC. This clown, Terry McAuliffe, has her campaigning in Virginia. I mean, how come she's not a persona non grata?
10: I call her the angel of death of stealing votes. Because Mm -hmm. every time you see her, there's going to be some vote things going on. Okay? Because she... And see her, her sister. This has, has nothing to do with her sister. Is a you know a judge? but is a judge. A, a, nothing, and she's been she's been propped up by Oprah and all of them, and she's she has. All right. Well, we're not getting about...
1: too far with all this. Thank you, Sharon. I appreciate your call. I got it. Eddie, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, on the Mark Levin app. Go right ahead.
3: Yes, Mark. Thank you very much for accepting my call. I've been here listening to your show for the last seven years, the first time. You're right on. But I have something to say, if I may. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have time to 2022, because they're going to try to steal all these elections again, cheat and steal and lie. And then at the end, I thought you were going to say
1: China is our biggest threat.
3: Yeah, it, it is. I'm getting to that. China is the biggest threat, and we we have we need time to get the, the military on track to f- be able to uh, fight them back if they do decide to attack. And we uh, this administration, Biden, is not going to do anything if they attack uh, Taiwan. Taiwan.
1: No, I. I... Look, I fear you're right, Um, and uh, I don't know how to answer you other than we're going to have to win this uh, midterm election in 2022. We have a good shot at it. Uh, You know, I did that monologue on Fox last night. People say, well, what are you going to do about it, Mark? I don't know what people expect me to do. I'm not Republican campaign chairman in every state. I'm not a public official. I try to bring attention to these issues. I try to write about these issues. I try to get people to pressure their public officials about these issues and so forth. It's all I can do. That's all I can do. That's what I do. I help organize opposition to these various things more than I think any other radio host. So I'm just pointing out when people say, well, what can we do if we can't win the election and the Chinese are going to do this? I mean, we're all smart people. What can we do? We're going to lose. That's what's going to happen, Eddie. If we can't turn this government around and build up our military, we're going to lose. Right? Hello? Rich? Yeah. Oh, I don't know what happened. But I, I'm, not, I'm not a magician. If we can't turn this stuff around, like I said in the first chapter of my book, this is a struggle and we're losing But I feel we're pushing back now. I feel we're organizing now. I can just feel it. I can see it. You can see the response. But the Department of Justice are worried about it. You can see the response. I spent the first hour of the program talking about the media. They're very worried about it. Uh, And that's a good thing. But the fact is, if we don't change who runs our government, and don't build our military up further, we're going to lose. And so rather be mad at me, that means we all have to do more. Talk to more people on election day. Make sure we bring people to the polls. We have to out-hustle the other side because there is a percentage of fraud in there. So we have to out-hustle the other side. And I'm not convinced everybody's doing that yet. And really not. I'm just not convinced that everybody's, you know, pulling their weight on this. And we need to. All right. Let's continue. Let's go to J.C. East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. J.C., how are you?
4: Hey, Mark. Good. How are you? I first of all, I thank you very much. I love the way you say goodnight to your past animals. It's just heartwarming uh, being an animal lover. But, however, Mark, uh, this is this is really terrifying. More so than people even understand. I've been following this from the beginning. we're, we're like fighting the three-headed dragon. It's like the medieval times. The one head, you got um, you, you, you got big pharma, big tech. The other head, you got Obama, the deep state, not Obama, Obama, Biden, the deep state. Um, and then you have China, uh, Russia, and all of their allies, and all the people they're trying to take over. And yeah, I saw it from the beginning, China, they built the islands in the Pacific to, to change the borders. In the Pacific, they ran the maneuvers right around the ships in the Pacific to taunt them. Then they, they're flying over Taiwan, and they were looking for a sign from the Biden administration. They gave them the sign. We gave them Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. They said, we?" Now they they're, they're shooting out their rifles. They're uh, supersonic. We got to do something. Everybody's got to do something. We got to stand up against this tyranny. And you. Know all right,
1: what? JC. I'm out of time. You're right on. You're all right on. Exactly right. Trust me, I feel your frustration on this. I'll see you folks tomorrow. Keep your chins up and God bless you.